What's up, Justin? Hey, Dan. How are you? I'm great. Happy to be to be here recording with you again. I've liked these solo episodes, but I still my favorite is still when you and I get to do episodes together. Oh, yeah, me too. And especially this topic. I'm super excited to talk about this book. I think it's very relevant this day yes. and age. So, folks, we are talking about From Christendom to Apostolic Mission, Pastoral Strategies for an Apostolic Age, published by the University of Mary in one of the Dakotas. I don't remember which one it is. I apologize, people from the Dakotas. It's either South or North Dakota. I'm positive it's one of those two. Um, and uh, I'm going to say North Dakota. I could be wrong. I'm going to go with North Dakota. That's a guess. So anyway, this book is kind of growing in popularity in Catholic circles. And it's been on my desk for a while. And I think, Justin, you've been hearing about it from people for a while. And so we finally decided we need to jump into this because it seems like it's one of those books that's going to be influential in the church in a good way um, mm -hmm. and helping turn us more and more towards mission. And so we thought, hey, what a great time to read this. Um, this is like, who's the audience for this, Justin? Who would you say would benefit from this book? This book is for any Catholic that cares, that cares about the church losing people and understanding why. And Dan, like you said, this book, I am so lazy sometimes, Dan. I had heard about it. Different people recommended it to me. And I said, ah, whatever. I don't have time. Someone had to finally mail it to me. Someone literally mailed it to me. Then I saw it was 90 pages. And I said, okay, I'll read it. And I couldn't stop once I started. Yeah. You, if people mail it to you, that's that's a good sign. Like, hey, you're supposed to read this book. God's like, like I will, please I will read. give you. Yeah, I'll pay <laughs> yeah. you to read it. Exactly. Uh, We're almost at that point. Yeah. And I would say that the number one benefit you are going to derive from reading this is that you will be encouraged. And I think you will also derive kind of a mental framework that will help you not get frustrated and not lose heart in the world. And uh, I think that'll become apparent as we talk about it. So first, in general, what is it about? It's about a change of the ages. There's this great line in there where it says, you know, sometimes that you can you can see uh, it's an age of change. But right now we're in a change of ages, meaning moving from one prevailing worldview to another. In fact, we're, we're I, you could say we're done with the the <laughs> change of ages. We're in a new age. And we've left an age in which the prevailing narrative, assumptions, vision, and imagination were Christian. Now we're going into one or we're in one where they decidedly otherwise. And if you're listening and you're saying like, well, that's not true. It's like, it's, it's wrong. America was founded with Christian values and Europe had Christian values. You are right, my friends. Unfortunately, so many of our friends, family members, beloved countrymen and women no longer have that worldview, even if they think they do. Our age is so thoroughly secular that we don't even realize where we no longer have a Christian worldview. So we, we might have these underpinnings, like the, the, the concrete foundation. Yeah, that's Christian, but it's cracking. It's falling apart in some places. And many people just don't even understand that it's there. They, they think that it's not. They take something else as the bedrock that's not as sturdy, not as solid. So the, there's, there's two terms here that we want to kind of clearly define or give us working definitions with. So the first is Christendom or Christendom age, and the other is apostolic mission or age of apostolic mission. So the first one, Christendom. Christendom in society is one that goes forward under the imaginative vision and narrative provided by Christianity. That is, they understand that everything is created and held in existence by one uncreated God, the Trinity, and 
that God created us for union and love with him, that we've turned away and rejected him, and that Jesus has redeemed us through the incarnation, death, and resurrection, and left a church guided by his Holy Spirit for us to be members of. If mm -hmm. you shared that vision with most people, they would have problems with a lot of that. Um, you know, whether it was kind of a fundamental disbelief in sin, which I think we see as, as prevalent, or definitely a, a hard time accepting that God created the world, or that God created the world for a uh, to have a personal relationship with us. That's that is it's very clear that that's not the majority Catholic view. So, the other idea we're playing with here is an age of apostolic mission. So this is when the church must make her way against the current as in like the current of a river moving against you, or the narrative and imaginative vision of a wider society. We have to articulate and maintain a distinct and contrasting vision to that, that of the world. Um, and I would say there's, there's a need for a conversion of mind and imagination such that uh, other, anybody who becomes Catholic or anybody who is renewed in their faith learns to see everything differently. Mm -hmm. um, everything. I think you're, yeah, a good example of the struggle that people see with this is there's kind of a renewed um, difficulty that people have with Old Testament portrayals of, not or not just portrayals, but just Old Testament revelation. So the law as it's revealed. And we struggle when we see God doing things that we think are unjust. So like, for instance, commanding the Israelites to wipe out a whole town or a whole city of people who are opposed, you know, they're practicing child sacrifice, that kind of thing. And God doesn't want those evil ideas infiltrating Israel and corrupting them and, you know, leading to Israel sacrificing children. And I think we have, we'll get to this later, we have such a, a predominating humanistic or human-centric worldview that it's really challenging for us to think, well, how can God be good if he's asking us to do that? And one of the answers is, we are not the center of the universe like we think we are and that like god god did not need to create us and the universe does not need us to exist especially not in order for god to to be glorified mm -hmm. and when we recognize that is the, the the universe exists to give glory to god and that we are part of that and it's not that the universe exists exists for our comfort or just for our flourishing we are supposed to flourish but that's not its sole purpose then we can start to see our place in this uh, this greater cosmic symphony giving glory to God rather than this ego drama where Dan and then by extension humanity is the most important player on this universal stage. Mm -hmm. So um, that's just one example of, of the need for a conversion of mind. And that would be, I think that's, that would be a challenge for most postmodern people right now who don't see anything beyond the created world. Yeah, so I just think... One thought that comes to mind, Dan, is you said this book gives you hope, yet we're hearing it's telling us that we're in a time where we don't have the support of the broader society. How can that give you hope? Well, I'll tell you one thing it, it did for me as I read the book is it actually gave me peace because it really helped me see things as they are. You know, these were all thoughts I've had in my head bubbling around in different parts of my brain, right? But this book made it so clear and concrete this is what is happening. This is why the same things don't work uh, now that did 20 years ago. This is why certain programs or institutions are uh, shrinking. This is why. Was, it gave me peace. And then when you really understand the situation, then you can start to have hope. Say, okay, now that I'm actually getting honest 
about what's happening, I can do something about it. So I am just so grateful to the authors of this book because this really is the, the paradigm we should be using this day and age with evangelization. Like this is it folks, and it's only 90 pages. So everyone should have one of these on their desk that wants to help the church turn the tide. Yeah, and there's a, um, a, a great line in there and it, it kind of answers the question, can we go back to like, can we just turn the clock back a little bit? Can we restore Christendom as it has been for the last 1,500,500 years? And the answer is no. And if we tried to borrow strategies from that age, the result would be disastrous. And the reason being is that we, the people we're talking with and in dialogue with don't see the world the way we do. They just don't engage in in thought they don't engage in an imagination they don't uh, they don't have the same baseline for morality that we do and we can't just dictate like this is how you will be this is how you will see the world mm -hmm. simply because nobody will listen i think we all recognize it if we just say you like yeah i'm gonna have a conversation with you but first you have to see things exactly as i do they're gonna say no i'm not gonna do that i can't because i don't mm -hmm. even have the like i we haven't given a compelling narrative yet for why people should have this redeemed vision and imagination of the universe. So we are, we're in a post-Christendom age. We've returned to apostolic mm -hmm. mission and we're going to be there until the Holy Spirit changes the world, changes the age. Right. Through, through us too, right? That's the amazing thing. Because one thing where this book yeah. gives you a lot of hope is that there's actually advantages mm -hmm. to living in a Christendom time. Um, I just uh, want to read it a quote from pages 62 and 63 based on what you just said, Dan, I earmarked this page because this was just, yes, just a yes moment. Um, okay. So just as the church will demand more from her own members in an apostolic time, she will expect less from those who are not her members. She will not demand of those who are not genuinely converted to a Christian way of seeing and of living to abide by the way she orders her life or even to understand how and why she does so. To expect this is to keep thinking in a Christendom mode. It is to insist that everyone in the society is or should be Christian, at least materially. Rather, the church's primary stance before an unbelieving world is not the imposition of law, which assumes knowledge of its existence and purpose, but the invitation under an attitude of mercy and hope into a relationship with the living God and incorporation into the new humanity to an entirely new way of being and of seeing, one that liberates and that brings meaning and joy. So that, oh, that like put glasses on my eyes, Dan, reading that, because it's like, yes, you know, and so many people for the last 10, 20 years have been writing about invitation, relational ministry, reaching out to people with love and mercy. And, and this really helps explain why, because you know, it's not worth it to get frustrated or upset why people don't do what we think are the right things anymore, what God decrees are the right things to do, because we can't hold the same standard anymore. They're not Christian. They're yeah, not. Yeah. So we have to take a different approach, an invitation to a new way of life, like the early church. A couple of things that, that brings to mind. Uh, the first is we forget very easily that it's by the grace of the sacraments that we are able to live out the gospel call, a even imperfectly. Amen. Amen. And it's like Christ it's not, himself. Yes. Yeah. It's a heresy to think that if we just know enough, it's called, it's um, Pelagianism mm -hmm. that, that was condemned early on in the church, that 
if we just have the, a good example, oh, Jesus, he's the perfect example, and we know what to do, that we can do the good things on our own. That's simply not, that. like, that's not true. We need the grace of God to live this way. And I think we have accidentally fallen into this idea that if people just try hard enough, they can live according to Amen. the gospel. Amen, Dan. Yeah, we, we put yeah. that on people that we know aren't going to the sacraments, right? That, yeah. Because, yeah. yeah, even, yeah, for you and me. I mean, if I, if I skipped out on mass for a month. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I'd be, I'd be a train wreck, I think, you know, so yeah. we just, uh, so thank you, Dan, for that reminder. Yeah. So, uh, th and again, like the news isn't bad. There's, you know, it would be great if, if we were still in a Christendom age, that's definitely a good thing. But I think one thing that people should also, I don't know if, if take solace is the right, the right phrase, but, um, I think one thing that we can use to sober us, is just the reminder just because we came from an age of Christendom does not mean that everybody had that authentic relationship with Jesus. It doesn't mean that there weren't, you know, hordes of lukewarm Catholics. And we have no more reason to think that more people were going to heaven 150 years ago than today. Well, because... that, that's a great point they make in the book, too. Sorry, sorry to interrupt, Dan. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. No worries. Yeah. Like being a disciple is an intentional decision to follow Jesus in the midst of his church. And if people weren't intentional about that 200 years ago, it was just by accident, right. then we have no more reason to think that the church was better at making disciples back then than it is now. Yeah, that's a great point uh, the book makes too, because even in the time of Christendom, they still you, it could be easy to just go with the flow and maybe try to just fall, your, fall into heaven, right? Like yeah. barely make it. But uh, Peter Herbeck uh, has a great line that if you're aiming for purgatory, you've got one hell of a backup plan. Right. And even in those ages of Christendom, we needed saints like uh, St. Francis of Assisi or these times of renewal from different saints, even in times of Christendom, to inspire us and spur us on. But the other point that I think we all should really just um, really let it sink in is it, it's not even worth it to say, oh, I wish we were in Christendom or I wish it was like this or I wish it was 40 years ago. It's not. It's yeah. not. We it's have not to trust. To exactly. We have to trust. God has put us in the ages and right now. So we just got to do it. We just got to do what we're being called to do. And this book helps us do that because it helps us understand this is a time of apostolic mission. Embrace it because we were born for a time such as this, my friend. This is it. Indeed. So this is, I mean, great, uh, great Tolkien quotes. And some of the quote man here, there's a great Tolkien quote. Uh, you could say <clears throat> this guy definitely saw this happening when he was alive and writing. Um, so this is Gandalf speaking to Frodo. They're on the way to get rid of the ring to try to destroy the power of evil in the world. Yeah. And Frodo says to Gandalf, I wish it need not have happened in my time. So do I, said Gandalf. And so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. And there's so many reasons to be grateful for living in the time that has been given to us. I mean, just think of... For instance, living in the time of, of St. John Paul the Great and mm -hmm. the, the theology of the body and this great renewal after the Second Vatican Council and the new evangelization mm -hmm. and the emphasis on the role of the laity to take co-responsibility for the mission of the church. If we were born 80 years ago, 100 years ago, 150 years ago, we would not have been reminded by the church of our need to cooperate and participate fully in that mission. And so there's really a, a great, a great we have the, the the capability of accepting the dignity and responsibility of being co-workers 
with God for his kingdom in a way that never would have been possible. So I'm ecstatic to be living right now. And are things perfect? No, but they never will be and they never have been. So it's always just to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord has given me good to do now and I will spend myself doing it out of love for him and out of love for neighbor. Yeah. Amen. So, I can agree more. There's uh, the the authors of this book do give us several strategies, and so I don't want to I don't want to list them all just because then you wouldn't read the book. So you can go read the book. Although audio books and audio summaries are I don't know I, I'm becoming more and more grateful for those. But um, so the first one is to gain an apostolic attitude, and this is really what we were just talking about. We can we can be upset about the time we live. Or we can say, okay, I know my mission. Now I will do it. And this, it's gonna, again, it takes intentionality. It takes going against the current and deciding I am going to be intentional about the way I raise my family, the way I live as a Catholic in the world, the way I seek out a better relationship with God, the way I, I seek out, for instance, a spouse or friends for my children, friends for myself. We have to be intentional in this and we can't if we're not, then we wake up 10 years from now and we've drifted so far from our aim that it becomes mm -hmm. that much harder to get back. Yeah, I think the thing we have to be the most intentional with is how we spend our time and being different. I will wake up and pray. I will go to mass. I will pray the rosary. I will go to confession. We need to be intentional about pursuing Christ because he is like the engine in the motorboat that uh, helps us go upstream if we're trying to yep. fight the current like you said earlier on our own strength we will fail or we'll just get bitter and angry but if yep. we are in the sacraments in the sacramental life and in the prayer life we get the gifts of the spirit to move forward in joy in hope it's supernatural me amigos so we just have to make that choice to be with jesus every day that's really the first step yeah and that's that's the key here is if we that kind of the next one, the next strategy is we can't let ourselves be trapped by social analysis, yeah. meaning we can't look at uh, sociological studies and say, we're doomed, Ooh. you know, it's over. Yes. The reason being, we have the power of the Holy Spirit and the like sociology would never be able to predict <laughs> the revolution brought about by the Holy Spirit in any age. They never would have predicted uh -huh. the growth of the church, the explosion of the church in the first century. Yes. They would have predicted things like uh, there's a in, in the book, there's a great description of the revival France. of the Catholic Church in France. Oh, that, yes. I wish I would earmarked it. I'm looking for yeah, it. But I got oh, one. So other, I, got, I got another. Yeah, oh, that, yeah. that Dan, that part was just awesome because, yeah. yeah, we think of France as like the church is all closing or whatever. But it talked about a time of revival that if you looked at sociological studies, you would have never seen this coming. And nope. here's the probably the best example is um, page 36. It's talking about the first you know, ministry planning meeting of the apostles, right? Evangelization committee meeting, our agenda, bring the gospel of Christ to the world, our resources, bishops, 11, priests, same number, deacons, none, trained theologians, none, religious orders, none, seminarians, none, seminaries, none, Christian believers, a few hundred, countries with Christians in them, one, church <laughs> buildings, none, schools and universities, none, written gospels, none, money, very little, experience in foreign missions, none, Influential contacts in high places, next to none. Societal attitude towards us, ignorant to hostile. Yet, who would have ever predicted what took place um, on Pentecost and what yeah. took place after that? And and then how uh, Christianity became the, the official church of Rome 
Um, I, what else can you say, Dan? I mean, yes, there it is. So we we get all these Pew research studies and all these things that make us feel bad, but we can't look at those as we, we have to read them and, and understand what's going on. But but that's not our end all. Our end all is yeah. the Holy Spirit. Revival can come anytime and it just can build slowly. For sure. And then all of a sudden that's, explode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, the next one here is the next strategy is to maintain and use institutions differently. And this, this means institution in a very broad sense. So think marriage is an institution. Families are an institution. Friendship is an mm -hmm. institution. Um, and then yeah. of course the traditional things, parishes, hospitals, schools, universities. And the reality is they, these institutions will survive and will become vehicles for apostolic growth when there's an intentionality to them to be decidedly Catholic, to say, this is how I'm using my time. This is how I'm using my resources. This is how I'm ordering my life, the life of this institution to be authentically Catholic, because we're no longer in an age where we would just be gently pulled along by the tide or the current of the culture towards a Catholic worldview. We have to create that for ourselves. So this, this is no more true, like true in no place more than the family. Oh, where amen, what we amen. allow to influence our worldview, what like what we say about ourselves and about our values and about who we are as Catholics with our time more than anything. That's probably the strongest single way that we can witness mm -hmm. to who we are as Catholics is by choosing to use our time. And I think next after that is is our use of media. And, and I'm not yes. I'm not advocating for banning media, mm -mm. but to be judicious in it, just to recognize the prevailing worldview is baked in to everything we consume and it, again it's not that it's entirely wrong there's components of it that are absolutely good but it's the components that we're unaware of as counter to the gospel because we're just in like, like in it you know fish doesn't know he's in water he just thinks he's alive um so in the same way we have to be aware of those cultural forces that are kind of seeping into us from all over just because it's in the air it's in the environment mm -hmm. it's in the water yeah no you, i mean you nailed it dan i'm i I had also earmarked on page 45, where it uh, basically states that in the current cultural climate, young, serious-minded Christians who marry are much clearer about the task. And it closes that paragraph by saying that raising a Christian family has always been a serious task. In an apostolic age, it is a missionary adventure. So like you said, um, how can how does that change institutions? I think even the way we support uh, married couples or even engaged couples, those coming to the church still for marriage at this point, they they really are in it to to make a difference, right? I mean, they really are in it. I think it's less and less that people are coming to check boxes. I think that's less and less, Dan. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think Witness to Love and, you know, check out our episode on evangelizing marriages with Ryan Verrett. Do a great job of of using a, a really cool model to um, help young couples see the church as a lifeline for them and their mentor couple as a lifeline to kind of wake up those things within them of why they're still choosing marriage in the church. And um, just want to echo what you said about media. Everything's baked in so that we all know this, but the times are gone where you can just let your kids pick what they want to watch and view every commercial and even view major sporting events with them without kind of protecting them. And even we think as adults too, you know, I think that we think we can, we can like just consume media and just discern and spit out what we don't need. But if we're not careful, if, if we're in it too much or watching too many shows that are, are overly secular, it can really affect us too. So we, we just have to be on guard more in a time like this, especially with media.
Yeah, yeah. So I like mm-hmm. a good example of this that, and, and I'm not using this as an example of something somebody should not watch, um, but the the Game of Thrones. I was really, really interested in that show. And I actually yeah. picked up a book probably 10 years ago and thought, oh, let me try to read this. And I, I read one chapter and the chapter was so challenging for me that it was like, I can't read this. Like, I, not only can I not read this, now I know I can't watch it. Yeah. And it's just to say, I recognize my own, you could say my own weaknesses or, or my own uh, tendencies towards sinfulness that I said, I don't need this, this as a, like, it's a near occasion of sin for me. I'm not saying it would be for everybody, um, but it, that's one of those things where just like, okay, is as, as cool as this thing is, as enjoyable, as rich as this experience is, is this something that I should expose myself to right now? And the, the, for the most part, you are the only one who can decide to that. And that's, that's you talking to God. Is this right for me right now? Mm-hmm. And we don't need to have a, any fear that that's going to be bad for us or that's going to hurt us in the long run. We can, I think, be very confident that God is going to give us what we need to be happy. And if it's not that show or that book or that movie, okay, it'll be something else. You'll be like, we'll be okay. Yeah. Amen. I, I was just uh, watching a short film on Blessed Pierre Giorgio Frassati's life last night with my wife, and it uh, just talked about how he basically just lived his life just choosing always what God would want him to do in that moment. So we just have to keep trusting God with every little choice. Hey, what God has for us is better than what we think we need or what's ever popular. Just just trust God's plan every day, every moment. Yeah, yeah. So the next strategy is to establish and strengthen practices that incarnate the Christian vision. And there's a quote from the book that I'll share. I'm not going to be like Justin and give the page number. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's in there somewhere. Second half. Christians will need to find ways to create a societal architecture that incarnates an increasingly countercultural Christian vision, meaning the Christian vision is the countercultural one. So in the same way that we created a societal architecture before that lent itself to the Christian vision. So the the designation of Sunday as the Lord's day and it being the norm to do some things on Sunday and not to do some things on Sunday. And uh, you could say later in life, as we started to see greater care and attention to the worker uh, as you know, coming out of this, this understanding of the importance of, uh, you know, protecting the family and the the dignity of the individual, that kind of stuff. We'll need to create those intentionally. So we'll need to say, what are the things that we can create societally mm-hmm. that incarnate or make visible the invisible things we believe? And so one one area of low-hanging fruit might be to say, let's look at the prevailing worldview, that imaginative vision. Like, what's the story that the world is telling right now? And what are the components of that story that are already Catholic or so close to Catholic that they're easy to baptize and easy Mm -hmm. to co-opt? And from there, say, okay, we're going to, we can wave our flag with these people in this area while still maintaining our firm Catholic identity because that's, it's easier to fight that battle than it is to go up against something that's completely countercultural. I'm not saying we don't have to do that too, but it could be a way to gain some momentum and to help them to help the world see, Hey, they have like, they get that there's something right about them because they've stumbled onto some truth. Of course, you know, we know we didn't stumble on it. It was revealed to us, but other people, I mean, the same way that, that we say like other religions have components of truth within them. Other people will recognize in us. They'll say, you know, I might not agree with everything they believe, but that thing is true. I know that's true. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think an even lower hanging fruit is the one you mentioned at the beginning, the Sabbath. So I think that, you know, we have, we have influence over our homes, right? And just to really embrace the Sabbath. And if we have leadership over a group or an organization to really take that rest on Sunday and not schedule things that day, you know, in the area I'm in right now, um, it used to be 10, 20 years ago, Sunday and Wednesday night, you know, there was never stuff on Sunday and there was never stuff on Wednesday night. That was CCD night. But then over time, yeah. more and more sports leagues, Wednesday night is just a battle now. And Sunday's pretty much out the window, right? As far as like, if you're in one of the competitive leagues, I guess, or so yeah. anyway, I mean, we, we can take that, that it's not even that big of a risk, but just opt out of those leagues where it would take our family away from the Sabbath on Sunday. It's okay. And and to trust God that if our, if our child's really meant to be a pro athlete, it, it will still happen while obeying his commands. You know, God's, God's law um, are like those railroad tracks, right? That, that keep us moving in the right direction, you know? So God wants us to enjoy this world without breaking those commands. So, you know, I think, I think that um, I would just encourage everyone to really claim the Sabbath, claim the Sunday. And that's a first step to that. Everything builds from there, right? If we can get Sunday, right? Yeah. And I think that's a, that's evidence of some of the secular practices that we need to shake off of ourselves. You know, it's almost like we're in this nuclear, uh, nuclear winter where there's like this ash falling all around us and just kind of covering us. And before we realize it, we're covered in this stuff. It's in our mm -hmm. hair, it's on our, in our clothes. And, and we just let to, it be there. We just yeah. let it be there. Yeah. It's time to, to wake up and say, no, enough of this. Um, like what does it mean to be authentically Christian? And I think a very simple way to do this, or to at least help us see. And this kind of goes back to the last episode on the, the seven ways to gain trust, which is really living the Beatitudes. When we read the gospel in all of its simplicity, it's we will very quickly see the ways that we can grow as men and women of God. It's not hard at all. I mean, just the, the way we embrace poverty, the way we live mercy, the way we care for, for those who do not have, they will all challenge us. In some, I mean, because there's no, there's no ceiling. It's an infinite ceiling. We can always grow in the love of God and love of neighbor and those things. And there's no end to it. So if we're wondering, okay, what's the low hanging fruit in my life? Go read, like, I would turn right to Matthew five, read through Matthew five, six, and seven, the Sermon on the Mount, and you will find a lifetime worth of work that you can engage in. Yeah. And, um, you know, to have that time where we grow, we, we need, we need to make the time for it. So you know, in my, uh, in my uh, nine to five, if you will, right now, the, the common theme again and again, as I ask priests, you know, what do they want families to do? It's really, we'll be at mass on Sunday, but slow down. And um, I talked to some older priests recently that are retired, but they both really talked about, they really would hope families would stop having everybody in activities that pull the family apart. So it's, you know, in this day and age and that humanism side, Dan, of like always growing and developing um, in the like human sense, um, yeah. and not on the spiritual side, maybe it's like, it's really a big deal for us to be countercultural in that way and say, you know what, I'm okay, not my son's going to do just one thing at a time. And yeah. we're going to do this one thing as a family. And uh, that but that gives that gives the peace in the home and gives you that time to grow uh, and, and just spiritually but also just in your relationship as a family so these are these are little countercultural decisions that feel scary but 
the more we can take these baby steps, we can at least build Christendom in our home, right? They, yeah. And then go out in apostolic mission um, as a family. So I don't know. It's countercultural, little things, little things. Yeah, yeah. Um, that made me think um, a little bit more about just the need to to strengthen our, our witness, uh, for one. Um, I mean, it really gets back to that idea of creating trust with people. The more we live this, the more attractive and curious. I think curious is the right word. People will see us and think, huh, I, that's curious. I don't I don't know anybody that does that. Right. Uh, but one, less, less people think that we're, we're scolding them or chiding them for having their kids involved in too many sports and activities. Um, again, it's, it's discernment. Like, what does the Lord want you to do? So pray and ask the Lord, please, Lord, reveal to me what it is that you want me to do. And one of the best ways to do that would be to practice Ignatian discernment. And you could look up um, Discerning Hearts, which is a great podcast by Father Timothy Gallagher to, to get a little bit more background on how to use that style of prayer to really understand what is God telling you? How is he speaking to you? Uh, but here's a simple thing you can do. If you're wondering whether or not you should be doing something, ask the question, why? Like, why are you doing this? until you can no longer ask it because then you will get to your core motivation. Then mm -hmm. you'll get to the ultimate reason for it. So yeah, I love like for that. Instance, yeah. Love like that. why do you, why do you have a job to make money? Why do you make money to buy things? Why do you buy things to be happy? Why do you want to be happy? Well, okay. Cause I think that's, you know, all right, well then will buying things really make you happy. Um, no. Or it could be not. like, yeah, why do I have this job or why do I have that second job? Yeah, yeah, it, I, I think that was great. And you yeah. need time to just ponder those things, right? To be an active uh, contemplative, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, why is, why is my child in sports four days a week when they're in middle school? Well, I think it's good for them. Why do you think it's good for them? Because I think they're being socialized. They're learning, or like they're developing as an athlete. They're staying healthy. And it's okay. Are they, are those all legitimate needs above and beyond what they already have. Because so for instance, if they're in school, they're probably being socialized. If they are, um, you know, if there's, there's ways to keep them healthy. And again, this is not, I'm not trying to say that like, hey, yank your kids out of sports, but just like ask that question why until you get to the end and then determine if that end is good enough or if that's the best way to achieve that end. And if, I mean, simply put, if it's not the best way to achieve that end, that's how you know whether you should do it. Like if, mm -hmm. it, if it's not the best way, do something else. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you know, and then you kind of get into the conversation of, is this optimal? Does it have to be optimal? Is this the absolute best or is it good enough? So, I mean, ask, is this good enough to get the job done? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then you can do it. So, yeah. Um, there's a, there's a, a couple others, but the one I, I probably want to end with is to put up with apostolic messiness. Yeah. And, uh, this is probably, I love that. I love yeah, that. I love that. Yes. This is for everyone. Here, here's what it's going to look like for people in the pews. We will have to get a little bit more comfortable with imperfection, with less than ideal organization and delivery. And we'll have to be discerning and recognize, okay, is that like this person is not my savior. They didn't found Catholicism. So I don't have to give them religious adherence. Uh, you know, if, if it's some like really, really passionate lay leader or priest or missionary, that kind of thing. Um, we recognize, all right, in in that sense of zeal, there's going to be some mistakes. We're going to make mistakes. We just can't be afraid of that. And 
if we were in a, an age of Christendom, then we could be a little bit more cautious and say, okay, we're going to, you know, we're going to take our time with publishing this book or publishing this podcast or letting you deliver that message. But yeah. we don't have the luxury of time right now. And right. so um, we won't always have the perfect words. We won't always have the perfect message or the perfect delivery. And this, I'm not justifying contradicting church teaching in anything. Uh, right. I mean, that's, that's kind of an easy thing, but there will be times when we, we make an attempt to share the gospel and it's not as good as we want it to be. It's okay. We get better and we try again. Yeah. The Lord will not be upset with you for trying. And I, in um, good faith. yeah. And I, I think, uh, it just, I love that point in the book because something we've talked a lot about in our podcast in our book as well is that, uh, we just have to be okay with failure when things don't work out. It's okay to experiment with our outreaches not with church teaching, of course, but it's funny because I was listening to a lecture on the creed recently and the, and the word innovator used to be a bad word in the church, right? When it came to doctrine, like if you were an innovator, you know, mm -hmm. that's like a heretic basically. But nowadays we're talking about a different innovation. We're not, we're not talking about theology, but we're talking about how we get the message to people. And, um, you know, innovation in the church is a good thing to just try to bring the gospel this day and age that, that will take some failure. We might, yeah, invest in something and then it didn't work out, but we'll learn from it and get better and keep going. So I uh, very much echo that, you know, just being okay with that apostolic messiness because we're in different times changing waters, right? It's like, yeah, we don't, we don't know if these things are going to work because we've never tried them before. We've never tried them in this context. So it's okay. It's okay if they don't work, just stay together. Don't, don't be overly critical of each other and just keep trying as, as one body of the church together. Yeah, indeed. Well, I think that's a great place to wrap up. So again, this was From Christendom to Apostolic Mission. We think you'll love it. We loved it. And uh, it's available. It's pretty cheap online. It's probably $10 or $12, something like that. Uh, you can get a, a Kindle version in case you you don't like carrying around books anymore. Um, but we do have some news that we wanted to share. I mentioned it in the last podcast, but we launched a website, beingandmakingdisciples.com. And we're offering a newsletter to keep in touch with you. We decided to jettison Facebook. We did some experiments and realized that when we posted on Facebook, we did not get any more uh, <laughs> action matter. with the podcast. And so we said, we don't need this additional thing. Speaking about discernment, we didn't need that additional thing in our lives to help us do God's will as uh, husbands and fathers and podcasters and authors and friends and brothers and, and the Lord, that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. So said, okay, let's get rid of it so that it's not a temptation and it doesn't pull us away from the things that God has really set before us. So um, that's why we decided to close it. And we're just going to be doing the newsletter instead. So uh, if you have not already signed up for that, you can go to beingandmakingdisciples.com and sign up for it. Yep. You'll all see uh, info about our book, um, all these podcast episodes. We've been working on the YouTube channel quite a bit as well and info about if you want to reach out to Dan and I to possibly speak or help you with anything. We're here to serve you. We just want to help the church. We want to help get these ideas out that we discuss in all these episodes with our great guests. So we are here at your service, and uh, we're all in it together. Absolutely. Well, friends, thanks so much. It was awesome to spend another episode with you. Count on our prayers for you. And if you have any questions, if there's anything you, can, uh, you want to know more about, you can email us at being and making disciples at gmail.com. So God bless. Peace be with you. Until next time.